Everybody that you meet, you can learn something from them. It's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. We all need people who believe in us. They expand the boundaries we place on our own lives. What makes me most proud is how I played the game. Being real, authentic, and spontaneous, and loving the game, to me, is what it was all about. When you retire, you may get a chance to go to football heaven. This is football heaven. Hello and welcome to a special mission. I'm your host, Jameer Howerton, and I'm so honored to be joined by the executive director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Mr. Joe Horrigan. Joe, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, and executive director for two more days. That's right, for all that you may not know or may know, this is a special show because of number one, Mr. Horrigan is retiring after 42 years of service here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we're just so honored and blessed to be able to learn and work with one of the giants in the sports industry. So congratulations and thank you so much, sir. Thank you. I've been uh, rehearsing these lines <laughs> because I've been not trying to break down because when I was with WKYC, Mr. Jim Donovan told me when you go work for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, there's one person that you need to make sure you get to know, and that's Mr. Horrigan. And you did a good job of getting to know me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. And number two, we're 60 days away from one of the most exciting days in all the sports history, yep. Enshrinement Week, yep. powered by Johnson Control right here. And what makes it so special is that we're going to kick off the 100th season of the NFL. Yeah, that's that really is special when you think about it because, you know, not only is it the anniversary of the 100th season, but it's the 100th season of the game that began here, or league that became, began here in 1920. So it is special, and uh, you know, I was involved with the 75th anniversary, now the 100th anniversary. I wasn't there for the 50th. I mean, I watched it, but I, I wasn't a part of it. But So it's, it's special for me as well to finish my career on such a milestone uh, season. And with that being said, we got to pay some bills because tickets are still available yep. for the enshrinement ceremony, the Hall of Fame game featuring the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons, and of course the concert for legend featuring Imagine Dragons. And you can go to profootballhof.com for all of your ticket information. And of course, with that being said, 42 years and you witnessed 43 enshrinements, so we here at the mission would be remiss if we didn't just grab you one last time to talk about your top 10 moments yep, of yep. enshrinement history. And it's so fitting because we're in the hollow ground of the bus gallery here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and you were a part of really selecting yep. and, and part of that whole process of getting a lot of these men into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, I, there were, I think there was 86 Hall of Famers when I got here, and I, every living Hall of Famer since 1977 and they go all the way back you know like I say I'm very, very lucky in my career I've had lunch or dinner with Bronco Nagurski, George Hallis, Red Green, Johnny Blood McNally. They were very old I was very young so don't, don't get me wrong but you know I have been involved for a long time I've seen this place grow and the enshrinement ceremony by far is the most meaningful thing we do this is what we're all about honoring the heroes of the game and that's the ultimate honor. With that being said, let's jump into your top 10 moments. Okay. Now, now, granted, guys, these aren't like, like yeah, 1 in 10 because they're all special moments, yeah, but it's yeah. chronological order. Yeah, and, and it's very, very hard to find the top 10 of anything when you're doing this, but these were ones that resonated at least, you know, a special moment at least for, for me. Uh, everybody else is going to have a different approach and a different uh, memory. So, 
1977. What made this enshrinement so special to you, sir? Well, you know, not only was it my first one, but I say I was starstruck. And that's literally, that was the year Bart Starr was elected to the Hall of Fame, the late Bart Starr, who was such a great man. It is a vital character builder, for it molds the youth of our country for their future roles as custodians of the Republic. Fathers and mothers who would make their sons into men should have them play the game. For on the field of friendly strife, are sown the seeds that on other fields in future years will bear the fruits of victory. Not just a great football player, but he epitomized what pro football was about, should be about, and at the time he defined a, a kind of an era of the 60s, you know, and he, he was the guy. He, he kind of fell into the shadow of Johnny Unitas a little bit and Joe Namath, but when you came down to, if you wanted a guy that you wanted your daughter to marry, right. Bart Starr. That was wow. the Wow, yeah. and our condolences to the Starr yes, family, absolutely. the late, great Bart Starr. 1985, this was, this was something new. Yeah, yeah, 85 was what I call the first TV class. This was a class where you had superstars. Up till, you know, that time we were still doing a lot of catch-up. The Hall of Fame only opened in 63, so we went all the way back to 1920, uh, getting our Hall of Famers, you know, the first uh, few classes. But in 85, we had this star-studded class. We had O.J. Simpson, mm. Roger Staubach, Joe Namath, Pete Rozelle, Frank Gatsky was the senior uh, nominee from uh, Cleveland, so it was special for this area. But it was the first time we had two Heisman, first Heisman Trophy winners and wow. Simpson and Stahlbeck, and two of them at the same time. But that class was really the glamour class. That was the, the most contemporary class we probably had to date. 1993, sweetness. Well, in 93, Walter Payton, and, and aside from just being Walter Payton, right, you know, right. what better you know, name could you have? But it was a really special moment for me because I was very nervous. Walter started a trend that continues today when he asked his son to be his presenter. My father has always been involved with charitable organizations. As a matter of fact, I can safely say he is a philanthropist. On behalf of my mom, Connie, my sister, Brittany, and all of our relatives, I congratulate you, Dad. On behalf of your friends and your fans, I say congratulations, too. Thank you. Now, having a family member is an unusual, but his son was 13. <laughs> now, we were worried. A 13-year-old at the podium, you know, is going on national television. You know, how is this kid going to do? He couldn't have been better. Wow. This kid stole the show. He's a young man. Now he's not a kid anymore. Right. But it was a special moment seeing a father and son bond the way they did at that ceremony. Now, let's take a step back for our viewers that may not know, because that, like, when you mentioned the presenter and that whole process, because yeah. you're a part of that whole process sure. from the, the speeches and everything. Right, yeah. Well, the presenter, we used to actually have the presenters make a speech, a presentation speech gotcha. at the podium. Now it's done in videotape. We had to do that to consolidate the programming, specifically for television. And he wasn't the only uh, son to do that because Anthony no, Munoz and you. Michael Munoz was right. here with was, us now. Yeah, that's right. Michael works for us now, and uh, it was Michael was a little older though, but right. thirteen. You know, it was 13. I knew what I was like at thirteen. <laughs> I, 
you know, uh, gee, I, I, I still marvel at how well he did. He absolutely was brilliant. And 1998 was another special year for you. Yeah, 98 was a was a <laughs> one for the <laughs> one for the ages. You know, this was Tommy McDonald, who was a great, great guy, and he had such a great sense of humor. But he was a he was, and I used it lovingly. He was a character, mm. and you never knew what he was going to do. Uh, when I called Tommy when he got elected, he came in. You know, after waiting several years, I thought I dialed a fax machine because there's this screech in my ear, you know, and it was going over a PA system in a live press conference, but it was him crying. Wow. But that's, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. Yes. But anyway, at the enshrinement ceremony, he went up to the podium and he's leaving backstage with me and he's got this grocery bag. And I could tell something's in it. And I said, Tommy, what are you going to do? He said, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. I said, no, 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 don't. He said, it's a surprise. I said, Tommy, I don't like surprises. He went out to the podium, and when he got called up to deliver his speech, he, he and his grocery bag went to the podium, and out of the grocery bag, he pulls a giant boombox and puts it on the podium and hits play. Staying alive, baby! And it's the Bee Gees singing Staying Alive, which he was alive. He was a live wire. He started dancing around the stage. And he goes into the podium and he says, you know, they say I had great hands when I played. And he walked over to his bust, which was on a pedestal, picked up his bust and threw it up in the air and then caught it. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't stop there. He takes it again, throws it up a second time and catches it. Then he proceeds to go down the line of his fellow Hall of Famers, which included Anthony Munoz, to chest bump them. And and, and that, that time, Chris Berman uh, also chest bump Chris Berman. Well, Anthony, you know, six foot, whatever, seven, right, right. You know, his chest is a little higher than Tommy's, who was a diminutive 5'9", uh, <laughs> and when he chest bumped Anthony, he went backwards and fell on his rear end. Wow. So, and everybody loved it. Well, I'm backstage having a heart attack, so he came back after the ceremony, he said, what'd you think, what'd you think? And I said, Tommy, the first time you threw your bust up in the air, I said a prayer you'd catch it. Second time I said a prayer you'd drop it on your head. No, anyway, it was it was fun. It, you know, it did scare me, but uh, I know you were like freaking out. Oh, you know, and I remember this because Lamar Hunt, who was a very conservative man, the owner of the Chiefs, mm -hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs, founder of the Kansas City Chiefs, the American Football League, was right in the front row, and I knew I was okay when he was laughing. And he, after the ceremony, he said that was the best ceremony ever. So I said, Well, if Lamar <laughs> liked it, I'm good. <laughs> so. That's cool. Joe, 2000, change of the century. Everybody was, I know, heads oh, was going yeah. crazy. Like, oh my God, we're not gonna have any water. We're not gonna have anything. <laughs> But 2000, yeah, football two, was still alive and kicking. Yeah, 2000, you know, was again kind of like that 1985 class. This was a class that had a lot of high-profile star-studded guys: Joe Montana, Howie Long, uh, and. Uh, the guy that really made it special for me, however, was Dan Rooney. Mm. Dan Rooney was the beloved owner of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and what that did that year was it showed to me with all these high profile guys of Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana, right. and Wilcox and, uh, and Howie Long, as I said, the respect they showed for one of the architects of the league, you know, Dan Rooney. And not only the new class, his classmates, you usually get that bonding there, right. but all the other returning Hall of Famers, and we had like a record crowd that year of returning wow. Hall of Famers, the love they showed for Dan Rooney was very, very special. Wow, and in 2005. Two, 2005, this right. was a, a class that was unique in its own right in that it technically had four quarterbacks. And that was just a class of four. I want to thank and congratulate uh, the families of NFL pioneers, Benny Friedman, Fritz Pollard. I enjoyed being with you this weekend, the families. Steve Young, congratulations. 
on your induction. I've always admired your style of play. Now, the fourth of the four, Fritz Pollard was better known as a halfback, but he did play quarterback as well. Mm -hmm. He was the first African-American to play quarterback in the right. National Football League, as he was one of just two African-Americans in the league in 1920 when it was founded. But the class was uh, Steve Young, Dan Marino, Benny Friedman, who was the, really the architect of the passing quarterback who played with the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers football. Wow. Uh, so it was really special to have those four quarterbacks showing the two generations, the old and the new. And it was really, really cool how that happened. And in 2006, a year later, Coach John Madden, yeah. who arguably has done so much for the you game. Know, he's been such a good friend of the Hall of Fame mm. and, and, and to pro football. He, as you say, he's been involved in the game in every possible way, but he was elected as a coach. Mm. And that's what he'll always be remembered as here as a coach. But he'll also be remembered as the guy during his speech. He said that he believed that these bronze busts spoke to each other. Right. When the lights went down at night and the janitor left and nobody's in the building, they speak to each other. He says, I believe it. No one's going to convince me of anything different. I believe that the busts talk to each other. We'll be there forever and ever and ever talking about, you know, whatever. And, and that's, that's what I believe and that's what I think is going to happen and no one's ever going to talk me out of that. Well, here we are now. How many years later? Yep. We have the technology that that is now true. That is. John that is. Madden's bust and others will be speaking. John's already does. Hi, I'm John Madden. Welcome to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> hey, Coach. What was it like after Super Bowl XI being carried off the field? I mean, just stuff is just swirling around in your mind. And, uh, uh, you know, the only thing that I remember about uh, being carried off the field is they dropped me. Which, if you figure, you know, big old Madden, they pick him out, they're going to drop him. Well, they did. They did drop me in. But it was, there was all these cameramen were out there in the field. And they were trying to get to a shot, you know, from underneath, you know, up. And the guy was on the ground, and, and no one saw him. And they just stepped in the guy and tripped, and uh, uh, we all fell down. So I, I, do, I do remember that. But I, it, that, that was just funny. I mean, that was just, that was just part of a great experience. You know, it really was. And it just, it just added to it. I think that I would kind of expect that that would happen to me. Uh, being carried off the field more than if I didn't fall down. You can interact with John Madden, ask him questions, talk to him. So he was not only a great coach, but he was a great prognosticator. So make sure you make your way down here to the Pro Football Hall of Fame to hear John Madden's bus and, of course, Mr. Michael Strahan. That's right. Well, 2007, there's a couple because these, yeah. these speeches get very emotional. And like I said earlier, you get a chance to see and experience a lot that yeah. a lot of fans just don't see backstage. Right. And uh, backstage, sometimes things are contrived. You know, we know what we're doing. We always think we know what we're doing, right. but we know what's going to happen, you know, as, as it's being presented. We've seen their speeches. We know what they're going to say. But this particular year, it was really three moments that stood out. Mm. Uh, Gene Hickerson, who was elected as a senior nominee, remember that. Uh, unfortunately at that time was confined to a wheelchair and was suffering from dementia. But Gene was the lead blocker for three Hall of Fame running backs, yes. Jim Brown, Leroy Kelly, and Bobby Mitchell. So backstage, just kind of on the 
Burr, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have the three guys that he blocked for mm. escort him out one time? You know, and it was really an emotional moment. They, they you know, pushed the wheelchair out together and to the delight of the crowd. We obviously had a lot of Cleveland Browns fans here because yeah. he was such a great Browns player. But it was just, as I keep saying, I, I knew it hit the emotional high note when I looked down and see Doug Deacon crying. And yeah. Doug Deacon doesn't cry. Right, right. <laughs> so it was, it was very, and Doug and he were very, very close. Wow. That was one moment. Then another moment was that, uh, that was the year Michael Irvin was elected. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael had had some issues later in his post-career. And he's backstage, and he didn't know I was there. He couldn't see where I was standing, but he was back there in a reflective moment by himself, getting prepared to go out next with his deliver his speech. And he pulled out a little pocket version of his personal copy of the Bible and was mm -hmm. reading some verses. And tears are coming down. I'm thinking, oh, wow. he's not even going to make it to the podium, you know, before he breaks down. And then he got out there and delivered this very, very heartfelt personal speech, in which he looked down at his children and talked about his life and wow. and you know how he felt that you know he wanted them to remember him wow so then the final one was charlie sanders in a similar family type of note uh, he had when i looked at his speech and i read a particular line i told him beforehand as boy i said if you deliver this with any kind of emotion you know, this house is going to be soaking wet in tears wow. but it was a he had talked about how through college and pros when he would watch television he was always moved by the fact these players would look into the camera and say Hi, Mom. Yes. And his mom had died when he was very young. Mm. And he said, I always w missed not being able to do that. So he said, and he looks up, he says, Mom, this one's for you. He says, hi, Mom. Thank you for all oh, you did. Man. You know, so it, it, was, it was just yeah. one of those moments. So you get those emotions at these enshrinement ceremonies. Yeah. You never know when they're going to happen, and you don't know what's going to you know, move you or not move you. But those three on that one was really, were really special. Wow. And 2009 must have really been special and near and dear to you because yeah. a lot of people that do know you, the Buffalo Bills, that is your second that, home. That's my team. And well, your third home because <laughs> home is home, yeah. then it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, then it's the Buffalo Bills. Well, I'm not sure that you got the order right. Did, but, did, you know, did that? Yeah. <laughs> My wife would say, you know, she's third, but I, you know, that's not true. Uh, but Ralph Wilson, when he was elected in 2000, I was very, very special. He was a very special place in my family's heart. My dad worked yeah. for him, and he was very, very kind to my mom when my, my father died. But And he was very kind to me all through the years. Mm. I've known him since I was, you know, 12 years old. Right. So, uh, you know, it meant a lot to me, and it meant a lot because I grew up in the American Football League, right. and he was one of the pinnacles, of the, uh, one of the founders, along with Lamar Hunt and Bud Adams. Those three were kind of the guys that represented that 10-year history of that league, which is now the American Football Conference. But he was the founder of my team, the Buffalo Bills, too. Right. So there's so many emotional ties for me with him. That, that, that was very special for me. Wow. And in 2017, I mean, LaDainian Thomas, and he yeah, lit the roof talk off. About, of, yeah, yeah, he yeah. had his moment to really have a Martin Luther King moment, if it, you will. He, he really did. You know, and if inspired. you know him, he was, um, he's a very humble and quiet man. Right. So when he got up there and, and you know, he went to church. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> literally. Oh, yeah, I mean, he took it, us to it, church. It, it was it was terrific because what he really did is he he talked about his family history mm -hmm. and how his family name came from the slave owner that had that owned his great great grandfather. Absolutely. And how he had met the family and you know that these bonds these chains were broken and these new bonds were were formed. And he was talking about how football did that for him and how sport can unite people and how it's up to people to be united. And he, he just did it in such a, a, an eloquent way. I grew up on the land of a former slave plantation. And although I didn't know this as a child, 
It is where my great-great-great-grandfather tilled the soil. A few years ago, I visited that same plantation in Central Texas with my family and stood in the slave quarters where he lived. It's now named Tomlinson Hill. My name began with the man who owned my great-great-great-grandfather. Now, it's proudly carried by me, my children, my extended family. People stop me on the street because they know me as LT, the football player. But after football, people have begun to recognize me as Ladanian Tomlinson. Not simply for what I did as a football player, but for who I am as a man. You know, you can't, you, you just walk away from it feeling good for having heard him. Right. And with that being said, you were instrumental in getting the Black College Hall of Fame exhibit right here in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, that's something, is, if I leave here with a, with a legacy, I hope that's part of it because it is right. an important part of the history of the game. Uh, we often celebrate, as does other sports, when the sport was integrated, but we don't talk enough about what was the reasons that it was segregated. Right. What were the what were the struggles? What were the challenges that athletes who had no outlets, you know, uh, you know, there was black college football. Mm -hmm. That means because there was no opportunity to play in the white, predominantly white major colleges and universities. Right. So we celebrate that now in the sense of understanding that this was something that was very important to be historically chronicled. And at the same time, before we take too many bows for changing things, understand why they occurred. And with that being said, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is teamed up with the Black College Hall of Fame to host its first annual Black College Hall of Fame classic right here 2019 Labor Day, so those tickets will be on sale as well. Um, once again, Mr. Horrigan, I'm just so honored and I've just been fighting back the tears, but I will take away the four pillars that you taught me. Learn it, earn it, own it, and you gotta share it. That's right. So thank you so much, sir. My pleasure. For the mission, we'll see you next time.